Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Twelve members of the alleged criminal conspiracy to overthrow the 2020 election have surrendered to prosecutors in Fulton County. And that list now includes the man at the top of that alleged conspiracy, Donald John Trump. Tonight is the first time in history that we have seen a mugshot of a former president of the United States, a man who is now known by this inmate ID number, P0113589. Now, the process that resulted in that mugshot and that assigned number began when Mr. Trump landed in Atlanta around 7 p.m. Eastern time this evening, at which point Trump's motorcade took him directly to the Fulton County Jail, where he was booked and arrested around 7.40 p.m. The 45th president of the United States was then fingerprinted and had his mugshot taken. We also know that Mr. Trump enlisted the services of a local bail bail bondsman to post his $200,000 bail. Now, in addition to Donald Trump, these are the 11 people who have turned themselves in thus far. They include Trump's former White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and several of his former attorneys, including Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, and Kenneth Cheesebro. That cavalcade of former Trump lawyers all had their mugshots taken today, just as we were learning that Trump is once again shaking up his legal team. And we will have more on that development later on this hour. There are still seven defendants in this case who have not yet surrendered, though I do believe we have some breaking news that they are expected to surrender by tomorrow at noon. That list includes Jeffrey Clark, the man Trump tried to install as U.S. Attorney General after the 2020 election, and Trevion Kuti, the publicist for rapper and Nazi enthusiast Kanye West, known as Ye, who was involved in the alleged plot to pressure and intimidate Georgia poll worker Ruby Freeman. But for now, all eyes are on the former president, who just spoke to reporters on the tarmac at the airport, repeating the claims that he did nothing wrong after being arrested for the fourth time in less than five months, charged with a total of 91 felonies. Joining us now from the Fulton County Courthouse in Atlanta is MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin. Lisa, from the outside, it looked like a remarkably choreographed and fairly undramatic processing. It was pretty speedy, in fact, from the outside. Again, can you offer us any detail about what might have happened inside uh, the jail as Donald Trump came in for his arrest? When Donald Trump came in for his arrest, Alex, I think what's mostly remarkable about about it is how unremarkable it was, except for the speed with which he was processed, which isn't something that normal defendants might encounter. But he was fingerprinted. He obviously had his picture taken and they ensured that he posted a bond. You referred earlier to the negotiation of his bond through a bail's bondsman. And then the process was largely over and Donald Trump returned to his car and his motorcade left. It was a short proceeding and a fairly undramatic one, but for the fact that it even happened at all. You know, I'm standing here at the Fulton County Courthouse, but to my right, there's a parking garage where someone has hung a sign that says Trump 20-20. 
24 years. And that, I think, encapsulates the intensity of opinion on one side. We've also seen cars driving by us all day long with people shouting things at us like, you're pathetic, Trump 2024, Trump 2020, all day long. So notwithstanding how unremarkable his processing was, today was still a remarkable and historic day, particularly in the courthouse behind me. Lisa, the bail bondsman, can we just talk about that for a minute? Because we all have been treated to Donald Trump's claims that he's a fabulously wealthy individual worth billions. Bail bond uh, set at $200,000. Is it unusual for a billionaire to use a bail bondsman? Yeah, it's also unusual for a billionaire to post a bond in cash, as he did in the Eugene Carroll case, instead of getting a commercial insurance company to do it for him, and he couldn't do it there. But talking about bail, you know, it leads you to believe that Donald Trump is either ridiculously cheap, which is his reputation, or he has liquidity problems, which has long been rumored. And Tish James, who is going to try a civil fraud case against him in October, that's really the gist of her claims, that Trump is not the gazillionaire that he claims to be, but has been playing a game of smokes and, smoke and mirrors about his finances for decades, including with his lenders, insurance companies, and tax authorities. Lisa Rubin, thank you, my friend, for just all of the commentary and reporting this afternoon through the evening. We are so deeply appreciative of your time and your thoughts. I want to bring in now NBC News senior legal correspondent Laura Jarrett and my colleague and friend, both of you guys actually, Chris Hayes, host of All In and former Fed and oh yes, and former federal U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. I said, Chris, you were a former federal. <laughs> oh, I never told you I, I was there a federal was no prosecutor. Comma there, Barb McQuaid. Uh, we have a dream hey, team here, Chris. First, um, the. <laughs> The limits that have been imposed on Trump's speech in the coming, whatever, weeks, months, years, Trump bail stipulations include no direct or indirect threat of any nature against co-defendants, witnesses, including unindicted co-conspirators, any victim, the community or any property in the community. And that includes, but is not limited to, posts on social media, reposts of posts made by another individual on social media and speech, presumably. I, it seems almost impossible that he's going to abide this. That's my first instinct. I mean, there, I'm of two minds on this. At one level, I think that he's likely to just test and test and test and see what he can get away with. And what are you going to do? Throw me in jail? Like, exactly. go ahead. Come on. What? You, you're going to throw me in jail? Fulton County judge, Judge Tanya Chutkin, whoever. Um, at the other, but the other mind I have is that, like, he has throughout his life, displayed a, an uncanny ability of like walking up to the line and like softly transgressing it in a plausibly mm -hmm. deniable way. And I think that we will see a lot of flirting with the boundaries. And I think it's going to be like a real test of these judges and the system as a whole, to, 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 to the degree to which what they're going to, they're going to like not take any Guff. Know, me messing around with the this. community though. I mean, Trump has spent Laura the last few days just, on a tirade against Atlanta, its crime rate. What a what a I won't use his words to describe the city, but that that absolutely intersects with one of the provisions he is not supposed to uh, violate. And I wonder the judge in this case, I believe his name is Scott McAfee. McAfee. He's 34 years yeah, old. Exactly. Been on the bench for a minute. He's yeah. literally yeah. appointed, sworn in on February 1st. Yeah. He is the newest of 19 judges at Fulton County Superior Court. I mean. 
What, what do we know about him and what do we think about his ability to manage what is going to be a raucous case? Uh, we don't know much about him because he hasn't been on the bench that long. Right. He certainly has never had a case this big. Even in his own practice um, as a former prosecutor, he's never had to do something like this. Um, and as Chris said, I think that what we're seeing, this entire display, not just today, but all four of these cases, it's a stress test. It's a stress test of the system. And there's this weird duality when it comes to the former president for which processes are just like every other defendant and which ones sort of veer off course. Like the mugshot today is the first time he actually had to go through the process just like everybody else. And then he has these other bail conditions, which are like very bizarre, like not being able to re like post what somebody else has posted. Like yeah. that's not a normal bail condition, right. yes. but it is a particular one that judges feel is necessary. Uh, and the prosecutors feel is necessary given his propensity and what he's done in past cases. And so it's just remarkable to me to just sort of think about what has been um, sort of off the charts bonkers in terms of this case and four cases being different. And what is, there is something just striking about having the former president have to go in a place that's being investigated by the Justice Department, a place that it is infected with bed bugs, right? Yeah. What is more sort of humbling than that, or at least should be for anybody who doesn't want to be there? For a man who used to live in Trump Tower in the White House, yeah. or, or still does in, in some cases, not the White House. So, Barb, when we talk about the, the stress test, it, it seems like a lot of it is left to the discretion of prosecutors in terms of what they're going to complain about and the judges and how they rule on a, a defendant violating the terms of, of bail. By virtue of the fact that Trump was fingerprinted and mugshotted in a way that he has not been in any of these other criminal indictments, should we infer anything about the way Georgia's going to deal with this defendant? Is it going to be a tougher line they tow? Or should or is that is it premature to suppose anything based on the processing thus far? Well, on the one hand, I don't want to make any assumptions just based on one small data point. But, you know, if you are to uh, generalize in big terms, you know, federal court is the very polite, dainty kind of a place. Uh, the federal prisons are very clean. They're very tidy. Sometimes they call the prisons club fed because, mm. you know, they're camp settings and very nice State court is a different story. State court deals with a lot of violent crime, street crime, uh, and treats people uh, like they are criminals in the worst sense of that word, uh, dehumanizes people, sometimes treats people like animals. They should not be treated that way. And yet that is sometimes the way the world is seen in the lens of state court because they deal with such uh, difficult circumstances of humanity. And so to that extent, I think it might be a little more of a rough and tumble world in state court. They don't put up with a lot of nonsense in state court. And so I think that there is a, a possibility that we may see Fonnie Willis take a tough line and the judge take a tough line. And I'll tell you what, the thing I really surprised, surprised me and I appreciated was the strategic decision by Fonnie Willis to say, I've issued arrest warrants. But I'm going to give you a little courtesy. If you show up within the next two weeks, I won't execute them. You can come in and turn yourself in. That was such a smart move. And I'll tell you what, we don't do it in federal court. We call and say, hello, would it be convenient for you to bring your client in sometime in the next few days? And we let them call the shots. This was a very shrewd move, I think, because she correctly anticipated that either Trump or some of these other defendants would try to jerk her around and slow things down, just as we saw Mark Meadows do and Jeff Clark do. And the judge there wouldn't have any of it. So it may be that we see this tougher stance in state court than we have seen to date in federal court. 
Yeah, it's hard to imagine Fonnie Willis is, is going to let Trump slide on stuff, but that does beg the question, what's the punishment? Having said that, Chris, what we're seeing here with this, I think, zealous prosecutor who has her ducks in a row by all outside accounts, she's ready for whatever comes, whether that's a speedy trial uh, motion or a hearing that Mark Meadows has on Monday. And it gets to this idea that Repu- this sort of anti-democratic tendency that you've seen from Republicans all over the country, which is we got to curtail the power of these rogue prosecutors or these urban centers or these strongholds of democratic opinion. And I feel like this this dynamic in particular is going to put that effort on the part of Republicans, at sometimes states cracking down on cities, on m- municipalities. Yes. It's going to put it all on steroids, right? Yes, it's sort of grown in a lab to sort of like speak to some of the most um, the ugliest parts of the story that Donald Trump tells about America. Right. Which is like the story that he told about the election, which is that, you know, Ruby Freeman uh, and and Shea Moss in Rudy Giuliani's words were passing around a USB drive like it was a dr- like drugs, drugs. Right. That like in Philadelphia and in Detroit and in Atlanta, like centers of black inner city life. That's where like the nasty stuff happens. That's where the violence happens. That's where the vote stealing happens. These places are sort of like actually outside the periphery of like real America. I represent you, the real Americans. And this sort of alien force that we all loathe and fear is now trying to like bring me into it. Like that is very clearly not even just the subjects, like the just the plain text of yes. what he's been saying. He's said it about Alvin Bragg. He said it about Fonnie Willis. Um it will be one of the kind of like rhetorical themes that he returns to. And it's it's disgusting in the same way that a lot of his rhetoric has been disgusting. And a Republican governor. I mean, you have this happen. You have an echo of that, you know, in Texas with Greg Abbott. You have you have Republican governors who look at their sort of urban centers and say, we need to take over the management of your water system or your your prison system. Or your election board in Harris County, Texas. Yes, it has been that rhetoric is more than just rhetoric. It has been operationalized in state after state in which you have Republican gerrymandered state legislatures that view municipal local governance with skepticism and contempt, that you are not actually allowed to do these things for yourself, and we will tell you how it's done. And we've seen that happen in Tennessee, where the state legislature has gone after the Nashville City city Council. Yes. We've seen it in Texas. We've seen it in Atlanta. We've seen it in Wisconsin with regards to Milwaukee. Like This is a common theme, and there is something that really epitomizes everything they kind of loathe and fear about the figure of Fonnie Willis in that context. It's all right here. Um, Laura, in terms of Fonnie Willis and her preparedness for whatever comes, Kenneth Cheeseborough is asking for speedy trial. Fonnie Willis seems ready. The judge wants us to start on October 23rd. Yeah. That seems like, really, Rachel said it tonight, and so I'll say it again, impossible, yeah. given the size of this, the pretrial motions. I mean, but what actually is feasible here? Because I think the expectation was the soonest any trial is going to happen here is going to be Jack Smith's trial, and maybe that happens in the first quarter of next year. Right, and part of what's happening is sort of a technical legal thing that got triggered, because once he puts in a demand for a speedy trial, we've been saying sort of, well, like, Fannie Smith called his bluff. Yes and no, right? She has an obligation under the Speedy Trial Act, right? Chesborough has a right to a speedy trial under the Constitution, so it actually triggers this whole process that has to happen, and that's why the judge enters that date of October 23rd, I don't think that that's going to hold realistically, but they've put it down as sort of a marker. And he made it clear that it's just for Chesborough at this time. And so I don't think it's likely that we're going to see even him tried at that date or even more than one of these defendants tried that date. We've talked about how unwieldy the case is, how un- complex the case is. Yeah. Just on the facts alone, she's pulling in a lot of information, not just about things that happen in Georgia, but remember everywhere. The, the Coffee yeah. County breach 
part of the allegation there is that they're sending that data outside of the state. To what end? We don't know. They're going to get discovery on all that. But I just think it highlights sort of what we're dealing with here. And that October is technically what has to happen for speedy trial reasons in li- all likelihood, I think, unrealistic. But the, the discovery process does not begin now, right? I think for for those who have been following along at home and of some of these federal trials, yeah. the discovery process seems sort of like underway after the surrender. Yes, it's That is already. not happening in Georgia, right? That happens not after. Yet. That will likely not happen until September. Is that right? Perhaps. It will see. The judge has set like sort of this expedited schedule. And so we'll see what other motions get filed, though, even before September, right? Like already we've seen Mark Meadows trying to remove this to federal court. We don't yeah. know what kind of a effect that might have on this. We just have to wait and see. Like, we're still in, like, this is, like, the first stage of yeah. what is going to be, like you said, weeks, months-long, perhaps years-long years. process. We just watched literally the first baby step of it. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Barb, as we talk about this issue of severability, I really have gone to television (laughs) law school and we talk about moving this case into federal court. If Kenneth Cheesebro or Chesbro, it's really still unclear even now, um, if he is successful in getting uh, sorry, if Cheesebro is successful in severing his case, uh, that bodes well for sorry, if Donald Trump is successful in severing his case, that would have an effect on everybody else in this case as well, correct? And likewise, if Mark Meadows is able to move his case into federal court, that too would apply to everyone else in that case, in this case. Is that correct? It's not clear. So the uh, removal statute says that when you have um, a federal official acting within the scope of his duties and others under his direction, they may remove the case to federal court. And so uh, I think all of this turns on whether anyone was really acting within the scope of the authority of the United States of America. I think it's a pretty easy answer that the answer is no. Uh, But if a judge were to find that Mark Meadows or Donald Trump were acting within the scope of their authority and these others were simply acting at their direction to advance the interests of the country, not a candidate or the campaign, but the country, then they could come along, too. But it could be that a judge finds that the the federal officers were acting in the scope of their duties, but that these other people were not. So it's not clear whether everybody goes or whether these cases get severed. I personally think that 19 defendants are not going to fit in a courtroom and that some of these will get severed one way or the other. I think statistically, it's likely there will be guilty pleas, something like 90 to 95 percent of all defendants plead guilty. So Mm. I think at some point the case will be pared down and it will shake out. Uh, but it, it could very well be that Kenneth Cheesebro, who has this right to a speedy trial, 
gets severed, goes first and wins or loses in October uh, all all by himself. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this shakes out. It's very wonky. And discussing all of this will remind me of when my mother asks me, so what is it you do when you're not in the courtroom? (laughs) And I describe these things and you can start to see the eyes glaze over. (laughs) Your mother and my mother are very similar. Um, I I do wonder, Laura, because we were talking about this with Mimi Rocco last night, if Cheeseboro, Chesboro, goes first, the, the prosecution has to present its entire case. Mm-hmm. That is not that advantageous for Fonnie Willis, is it? I mean, she effectively would have to say, this is what I got. Here we are. And everybody else gets a sneak preview. But perhaps it's not advantageous for the, the former president, too, to have this all laid out. As we've talked about, this one would be televised. And if she wins a conviction, I think that that is something to at least contemplate having severe implications for the rest of these cases. She goes into this with sort of, you know, the wind at her sails. And again, we're a long way from all of this. But if she was to actually get a conviction, yes, yeah, she'd have to put out some evidence that, you know, she might not want to early. And she may object to this, by the way, down the line. We'll see. But if she actually got a conviction, I think that that would be something she would prefer to have rather than have the whole case go away. If she doesn't follow the speedy trial act, the reason she's doing this, the whole case goes away if she doesn't follow this properly. Yeah. And I mean, there's no there's no apples to apples comparison of any of these cases because they stand alone. Right. Like it's just never happened. But, you know, take the New York case with Alvin Bragg, like in a normal circumstance, he'd play out. He'd plea out and not do any time. Yeah. In this case, in with the 19 co-defendants, people are going to plea. I mean, you're you're nuts if you're not advised. If you're the lawyer for some of these folks, you know, you're the fake elector. You're like they, you you would probably plea and cooperate. If again, now maybe the umbrella of Donald Trump's influence and the amount of money that he could spend on legal defense through constant fundraisers mm-hmm. is such that he keeps everybody in the tent. Jenna Ellis is complaining about the fact he's not. She's saying that he's not paying for, for sing- anybody's right. So if you're if you're not getting a dime, you're looking at legal bills that genuinely could go into the seven figures. Like this could be a really, 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 really expensive situation. And you're a state rep who is a fake elector. Like, again, th- th- there is a reason. You buy, Barb, you buy your mugshot mug and you're out. Barb just said this. There's a reason that, and it's a actually pretty messed up feature of the American criminal justice yeah. system, uh, the, the pleading system, nowhere contemplated in the U.S. Constitution, I would just note, uh, that the whole way that the pipeline works is through pleading. So I just got to think, I mean, we'll see, maybe not, but it does seem to me that that is a likely eventuality and also really a problem. And to your point, you don't want, if you're Donald Trump and you're trying to get to people not to cooperate, you don't want her to go to court right. and get a conviction and be like, you're going to, Kenneth Cheeseboro, you're going to go to jail in Georgia. Yeah. Like, you do not want that to be shown to all the other point for why you co-defendants. It's yeah. televised. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the other piece of this. No matter who's on trial, even if it's not Trump, everybody's digesting yeah. it. I want to bring in Joyce Vance, MSNBC legal analyst, our superpower. Um, Joyce. We're talking about the fact that the the likelihood that this number 19 goes down in terms of co-defendants and the likelihood that some people plead out here. And my question to you is the fact that Jenna Ellis, one of Trump's lawyers, is saying that Mr. Trump is not paying the legal bills for any of the co-defendants in Georgia. Does that suggest to you that Trump is staking out an adversarial position to his lawyers? Does that tell you anything about his defense and the likelihood that those lawyers looking at the lack of money flowing in their direction may say, screw this, I'm out of here? 
Right. So it's interesting. I heard Barb McQuaid reference a couple of minutes ago the fact that more than 90 percent of federal defendants plead guilty. And that's in cases across the board. You know, whether it holds up here or not is an open question. But what we're seeing with Jenna Ellis and likely with some of the others is the first sign of a split among the defendants. When you've got 19 of them, it's pretty inevitable that that will happen. And when it will get even worse will be when they see discovery. Laura mentioned that that has not happened yet. In Georgia, the prosecution doesn't give the defendants a view of its evidence until arraignment. But I think it's a good bet that Fonnie Willis will be ready to go with her discovery pretty close in time to arraignment. And that's the first chance these folks will have to sit down with their lawyers and view the reality of just how good the evidence Willis has amassed against them is. That's a moment where some of these folks, and I think Chris is right, especially the Georgia electors, will begin to think seriously about pleading guilty. You know, they may not all have evidence to offer against Donald Trump, but some of them likely will or will have evidence to offer against those who are close to them. And that's how these big defendant cases move. There will be a process of people coming in and wanting to plead guilty, flipping, offering more testimony, strengthening Fonnie Willis's case. And ultimately, she'll go to trial with some number that I think will be a lot smaller than 19 defendants. Yeah, it's all sort of the calm before the storm, Joyce. You know, when you talk about um, Willis's preparedness, there is something happening on Monday that I'd love to get both your and Barb's opinion on, which is Mark Meadows is making the case that this should be taken to federal court. Fonnie Willis has called in a couple witnesses that could prove very pivotal in, in Mark Meadows' argument. One of them is... Brad Raffensperger, and also his chief investigator, Francis Watson. Now, Watson was one of the people that physically prevented Mark Meadows from entering the space where the Cobb County audit was being performed, I think, on December 22nd when he traveled to Georgia. Um, and Meadows personally arranged the call between Trump and Watson, again, Francis Watson, Brad Raffensperger's chief investigator, who where Trump told Watson she would be praised if he prevailed in the election. She seems like an incredibly damaging witness as Mark Meadows is trying to say, hey, everything I was doing down there was under the color of, of my work for the federal government. I mean, Barb, when when we talk about the evidence that is presented in that hearing, that's damaging also because that can be used in a criminal trial, can't it? Well, it can, um, especially if Meadows himself tries to testify. I think he, he, his lawyer certainly must be smart enough to preclude him from doing that. But if he is to testify, and frankly, he has the burden of, of proving that this case should be removed to federal court. It's hard to imagine how he wins without testifying, but I can't imagine that he will, because as you just said, that testimony could be used against him. But the question the judge is going to be looking for here is, was this an act that it was in the interest of the United States of America? Was the president you know, executing the law? here? Was he taking care that the laws be faithfully executed? Uh, to me, no. He was campaigning. It was a political activity. And one of the things that Fonnie Willis says in her brief that I think is so brilliant is um, it couldn't be because the Hatch Act says that political activity is prohibited for federal employees. Uh, and so the idea that he's down there doing something on behalf of the United States is, is just absurd. So I think that um, once we hear from Brad Raffensperger, once we hear from this investigator, it's going to be pretty clear that this political activity and not government activity. I just just for a pause for some updates here, Chris, uh, Donald Trump is back is back on Twitter. 
formerly known as Twitter, uh, X, now <laughs> is on X. He is officially back on social media that is not true social, um, where you still remain, I will note to everybody. Uh, and he is tweeting out. I barely out- tweet. <laughs> okay, but you're still there. Um, he's tweeting out his mugshot. And um, what, is that? what does this all represent to you? The return of Donald Trump to Twitter, X, and the mugshot, August 24th, 2023. Uh, here, Never surrender. Here's what it represents to me. Donald Trump, I think, has a theory about attention, uh, which has borne him in fairly good stead, which is that all attention is good attention, and the more attention you have, the better. It's like wealth. All press is good press. All press is good press, as long as they, change, they spell your name in. I think that was actually true in 2015, 2016. It clearly was the case that attention helped him in the Republican primary. He now faces another Republican primary. He's applying that same metric here, and I think it's not even that you know prefrontal cortex. It's more down the brainstem where he gets this sense. But I think that It's also the case, again, I just got to remind myself, gravity exists. Mm -hmm. He's 30 points underwater in the latest Pennsylvania polling today of his favorables, unfavorables. 30 points underwater. Going around being like, check out my mugshot. I'm back on Twitter. Check out my mugshot. That does work amongst a certain segment, and it may actually give you some marginal advantage in a Republican primary. But Which again, just it's something to note that this yes, absolutely, yes, in the Republican Party. But, but anyway, it, I just don't think it's particularly politically potent if he is attempting to win back swing voters that he lost in 2020 when he lost an election by seven million votes and dozens of electoral votes before he tried to undo the American constitutional republic by any means necessary. Also, Laura, as we like laid out the, the litany of prohibitions that face Trump, yeah. he's talking about election interference on right. social media. I mean, yes, it's not even right. been, I mean, how, it's been, how, it's been min- an hour. Few minutes. I don't and even know. One of the provisions is not doing anything to obstruct the administration of justice. So not just like harassing a witness or talking to a co-defendant about the facts and a query how broadly uh, the district attorney's office reads that provision and how strongly the judge is going to enforce that posi- that that provision within the actual bond order. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Can I ask a dumb yes. procedural question? So <laughs> There are so, no dumb questions. Well, so my understanding, and, and, and some people were, were talking about this when he, he, he retruths some Tanya Chutkin, you know, something about Tanya Chutkin, her, her, her picture, and that she was, you know, a no, no good, whatever. Um, would, who, would the prosecutors have to yeah. file and yeah. initiate a complaint about a violation yeah. of the terms of bail? Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be up to them to okay. decide so, right. who, like, it's going to be up to them to decide strategically, I think. Right, yeah. 
At what point do we push that button? Because he's going to test it, right? He's He's going to test test it. it. But if they do it too soon, I think there's a question about a little bit of a strategy. Yeah. Yes, you don't want to be. You don't want to keep pressing the button to no avail, right? It's it's a it's a careful dance. All right. Well. To be continued, right? Yeah. Uh, Laura Jarrett, Chris Hayes, Barb McQuaid, and Joyce Vance, thank you, fearsome foursome, for your time and energies and wisdom and thoughts and not dumb questions. Just hours before Donald Trump officially turned himself into Atlanta authorities, completing his fourth criminal arrest, House Republicans launched another effort to rescue him. House Judiciary Committee Chair Congressman Jim Jordan has now opened an inquiry into Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis. In a letter to Ms. Willis, Jordan accused her of leading a politically motivated prosecution of the former president. The congressman questioned whether Willis worked with the Justice Department and its special counsel, Jack Smith, and demanded that Willis turn over all documents and communications between her office and federal officials, including anything related to the use of federal funds. Now, we have seen Republicans in Congress circle their wagons around Mr. Trump before. It happened after Mr. Trump was indicted in Manhattan. Republicans demanded testimony and records from Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg's hush money investigation. DA Bragg's response to all that was basically, it is not appropriate for Congress to interfere with pending legal investigations. That fight escalated when Mr. Bragg filed a lawsuit against Jim Jordan to block Republican demands for testimony and information from Mr. Bragg's office. Bragg only dropped that suit after reaching a settlement agreement with Congressman Jim Jordan. Joining me now is Jess McIntosh, Democratic strategist and former director of communications outreach for the Hillary Clinton campaign, and Michael Steele, former chair of the Republican National Committee. Michael, Jess, thank you for being here on on this historic night. It has been a night. So we have seen, Jess, the release of a mugshot Mm -hmm. of a former president of the United States, the assignment of an inmate number to said former president of the United States. We are now seeing said former president of the United States return to social media, uh, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. He is tweeting out the mugshot. Republicans have been tweeting their own mugshots in solidarity uh, in the hours previous to this one. Uh, can, can the wagon circling have its desired effect, which is to effectively insulate President Trump from the, the legal peril and the damage that is coming his way? I think in, all it can do is insulate him in the increasingly shrinking bubble that he currently finds himself. There is no chance that what's happening tonight is having a positive effect on the pieces of the electorate that he's going to need to make his case to very, very quickly. And if we can go back to last night for a minute at the debate, I'm sorry. Please, please. I see it <laughs> as part one of what happened. Yes. When they were asked, will you support him if he is convicted and running from prison? And they all put their hands up. Yes is a lot more striking and shocking today even than it was yesterday. Because as somebody, you know, who has thought about this man's misdeeds for a very long time and thought about this day for a very long time, it drove home today, even for somebody who has spent a long time contemplating the various of this. So I'm sure that's happening for everybody else. And by the way, they are going to keep getting asked that question, Mm -hmm. presumably in the course of future debates, and they will have more evidence of his alleged guilt as time goes on. Um, Michael Steele, last night and today is a portrait of the Republican Party in, in two parts, a diptych, if you will. And I wonder uh, what you think about the events of last night, the statements of last night, the rally around the Trump flag of last night in the context, the cold evening light of today where the man uh, there is a mugshot out. There is an inmate number. 
Um, right. And the criminal trials are going to begin. They are. Uh, there is a mugshot, uh, you know, inmate number P01135809. You've memorized known it. As Trump. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> Look, I don't. I think for me, Alex, the question is, why do we still really kind of drive this uh, from the lane of, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised what I heard last night on that stage. What did surprise me, I will say, is the way Nikki Haley kind of leaned into the opportunity uh, to best the fellas by actually taking risks politically uh, on abortion, for example, and on uh, the environment. Um, and there, you know, that creates a, an interesting uh, conversation within that particular bubble. Uh, but in the main, why why is anybody surprised about any of this at this point? Uh, MAGA owns the GOP. The GOP at one point was, you know, uh, sort of the the controlling entity, and MAGA was sort of a subsidiary. Well, the subsidiary now is the major partner. It is it owns the whole thing. And the reality of it is they're driving this. Trump is driving this. And if you believe after what we witnessed last night to the point just made that anyone is going to strip Donald Trump of that leadership moment, then you're already starting to lose this election hmm. because you're, you're, you're trying to put it in a box in which it will not fit. This is not a conventional time, nor has it ever been since 2015. And it's not going to be a conventional election. Donald Trump can be standing on a stage in 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 chains in an orange jumpsuit and and playing the victim and they will rally to him. So yeah. the question now in the face of this mugshot of a former president who is now still running for president yet again to the country is, are you really prepared to do that? Are you do you really want to do that? It's not so much about the GOP. I've been saying this for a number of years now. This is bigger than the GOP. The GOP is not that large. It's only what, 28 percent on a good day of all voters. So let's be honest about what's happening in the country. And what this picture on this screen says to a lot of Americans who aren't, you know, out there screaming and shouting on Twitter, you know, posting stuff, but who will quietly as they did in 2016, as they did in 2020, to the tune of plus seven to eight million more Americans than 2016, in 2024, go to the polls and vote for that that fellow. That individual. That Inmate number right. P011. Inmate number P011358098. Look at there. Uh, Michael Steele's quick, quick on the memory. <laughs> um, the the other reality here, Jess, is two of these, the big, arguably the ones that pose the most peril to Trump are about fake electors. And those fake electors plots unfolded in Michigan, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. I mean, those are states you need to win yes. if you are running for president. Yes. And those are states that have a visceral memory, a muscle memory of what unfolded in some states, including Michigan, potentially Arizona. Georgia, most certainly, there are there is ongoing litigation around those fake electors and where the margins in 2020 were tight. And you got to think that a, a two major national cases unfolding about crimes that took place in those swing states yes. 
would have an effect on an election in those swing states. Well, if you look at, and, I, and, and let me mix issues for a second, if you look at what's happened with all of the abortion votes, right? Yeah. Every state where that has been on the ballot, it has won. That means that Republicans are crossing. You cannot win in Montana or Kansas with just Democratic votes. So Republicans are already turning out for elections that they have traditionally not been courted for. We are already seeing Republicans and independents rejecting what these extremists are doing in public schools. They do not like book bans. So already on the ideological front, Mm -hmm. we are seeing the Republican Party bleed the last vestiges of sanity and common sense that it still had. The problem is that now the only person who could win the Republican primary through that MAGA base that has been cultivated is a bigot. So it doesn't matter how good Nikki Haley is at talking about the issue of abortion. She's not going to be the Republican nominee. Donald Trump is. So now we get to see how much of the Republican Party he takes down with him. Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy are committed to using the entire House of Representatives to protect him while he faces justice for his criminal activities. This is the entire party now. This is not just Trump. It is every Republican in Washington and running for president. Michael Steele, what would be your word of caution to the Jim Jordans of of the world who are Donald Trump's foot soldiers at present in Congress? Oh, they they gave up on caution a long time ago. Uh, this, 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 <laughs> these Fair. people don't give a damn about being cautious. It's it's it's, you know, all to the wall, you know, and it, and it is it's 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 a, a rallying. I think Jess just nailed it um, because what. The you know, the answer to the point I just made is what Jess just said, is that the problem that what Jim Jordan is doing, what what McCarthy is doing and and, and trying to interfere in the uh, the carrying out of a judicial process at a state level. You know, they, they're trying to do the hook with, oh, yeah, if you spend any federal dollars, it's all BS. It's just throwing crap at the wall to see what they can get the stick to do what? Delay this process. But the reality yeah. is exactly what Jess just said. People have already started to look at all of this, uh, Alex, and go, you know what? I don't like book bans. I don't like where we are uh, heading on abortion. And that's going to be some of the signature that the party is going to fail to get, which is what Nikki was trying to do last night. Yep. Well, we'll see how it pans out. There is a lot more to come. Michael Steele, Jess McIntosh, thank you, my friends, for your time tonight. That is it for us. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.